egotistical, so unpredictable Here on the SNL Network Yes, that is right. Welcome everybody on in to the Saturday Night Network for the final Monday in April. And we are here for a very special podcast. And I usually special means good, might mean bad in this case, because there is a potential writer strike on the horizon for Saturday Night Live when we started this season, season 48. There was no real talk about it yet. Maybe some of the studio execs knew about this, but we as the fans uh, didn't have any idea. And then slowly the news trickled out throughout the season that this could be happening. As it stands right now, still up in the air what's going to be happening with the rest of season 48. But we really felt like on the podcast, it was the right time to explain to all of the listeners the history of SNL and writers strikes because this is not the first time this has happened during an SNL season. So in order to do that, I figured I got to bring in one of the greatest historians of Saturday Night Live. And that is my friend Bill Kenny. So Bill, how are you doing? John, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's it's rare on the podcast that I get to show my extensive useless knowledge outside of SNL. So uh, I'm excited to get into it, even though the circumstances are not the greatest as far as the strike goes. So Definitely. Bill, is this the first time that you and I are podcasting just the two of us? I believe it is. Yeah. How fun is that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. This is great. I, I feel like Mikey Day, except without the talent and the money. So this this is great. <laughs> You're plenty talented. Mikey would agree. But yeah, we are. Our podcasting career, Bill, goes back a very long time, all the way back to October or November of 2020. So great to be with you tonight. And yes. thanks for everybody for joining us in the chat. This is definitely going to be an interactive show. So if you have ideas or things you want to talk about when it comes to the potential strike, let us know. We'll talk about it on the show as well. But yeah, let's dive in and talk about where we're at in the SNL season. So we're 18 episodes in. Typically, this is the time where we're looking forward to the end of the season, something that is really exciting, you know, bringing in, you know, huge names for hosts. And yeah, whether you love it or not, Pete Davidson is a huge name that could be coming in at the beginning of May. We look forward to a season finale and all of that stuff. So May for me is one of my favorite SNL months, obviously. And, you know, the fact that that could be impacted really sucks. So Bill, how are you feeling right now before we, you know, start to describe what it is that is going on? Uh, I feel anxious. Uh, I, I always, when these strikes occur, and the last two have particularly uh, been something that stressed me out, but SNL is the thing that always affects me the most because, you know, as you know, things that are scripted and filmed, movies, TV shows, they're three, four weeks in the can. And in, in the case of movies, sometimes a year or two in advance. So you're not feeling that effect. With SNL being so immediate, you know, if they go on strike next Monday, that's it. Show's not starting on Tuesday. They're not starting to write on Tuesday. So that's very anxiety-ridden. So as much as I'm not necessarily looking forward to Pete, I would take a garbage can uh, with a hat on uh, hosting <laughs> SNL just to have a show. Because, as you said, I mean, May is such a huge month for SNL between the Mother's Day episode and then the finale that usually comes the week after. So feeling a lot of trepidation. Yeah, I love this comment from Monette in the chat who says, uh, this is the embodiment of the this is fine while the room is burning around us. And uh, that is how I feel because I love season 48 of Saturday Night Live. Like maybe it isn't for everybody, but in modern times, this is a really good season of the show, one of the best we've had in years, and there's so much to look forward to. And I would hate to, you know, stop the momentum of having some really strong shows in 2023. A lot of people seem to be loving the show even more in this calendar year. So for me, at least, uh, I, I hate to think that that was it with the Ana de Armas episode. And I'm hoping we can at least maybe get one episode in. Who knows how long the strike would last and what the details are of all of that. But I'm, you know, and anxiously anticipating what's going to find out. And of course, for us over here at the podcast, there's a lot of programming that happens, you know, booking the shows and having the hot take show. I mean, there's not going to be a hot take show, right? So, uh, you know, like those are things that are so minor in the grand scheme of things, but it's things that we have to think about. So why don't we dive in and talk about you know, what is the Writers Guild of America? What are the strikes and why is this happening? So that if you're not aware, maybe you're not as in tune with all the TV lingo and language, we can uh, bring you up to speed on all of that. And then we'll go through some of the history of this affecting the show, because it's happened throughout every era of SNL for the most part. So 
I'm going to start with explaining what is the WGA. You might have seen that all over the place, right? Well, the WGA is the Writers Guild of America. It's a writers union. So the same way that you may work for, you know, department stores and there might be a union there and people get together and they unionize to get fair wages or uh, certain rights that they might not otherwise have if they didn't unionize. In general, writers who work in Hollywood are in the Writers Guild of America. And they have contracts with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, the AMPTP. And the AMPTP negotiates on behalf of some of the largest studios in Hollywood. So when you think about that, it's the Writers Union, the WGA. Then we have our Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which represent some of the studios. Now, just like in any industry, the people at the top have the most money. And Hollywood has the most money of them all, right? They're, you know, they're some of the biggest money makers in the world. So the thing is, is how does the money trickle down to the people that help produce the work? And on a smaller scale with SNL this season, we saw that, right? I mean, Bill, we recently had a strike specific potentially to SNL, which was the post-production strike uh, where we had people who were working on the film unit. So that's not so dissimilar from what we're seeing on a grander scale with writers across America. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that's an important point because we've we've seen this and it's very easy, and this happens in sports a lot too, to look at a strike and go, well, is 10 million that much worse than getting eight million and and things like that. Uh and and it happens with baseball, like they're millionaires already, but with writers in particular, and if you go on Twitter, follow some of the people, uh some of the writers who have been on sitcoms and things like that, they may make some money for about six months. They may be asked to be on a show for a year or two, and then they may go years without a job. And that so they ha don't have a lot of security in their jobs. Uh, even for long-running shows, and uh, SNL is a great example of that. The writers turn off over quite a bit. So um, even in the microcosm of SNL or network television, uh, it's a very important thing. And and these and these strikes often follow the technology, uh, as we'll start to get into when we get into some of the older ones. You know, in 1981, it was about pay TV, which obviously is now cable and VHS sales and things like that. Those were starting out. And then when we got to 2007, it was about DVD sales. And now we're at streaming point. Now, streaming's been around for a while, but the contracts were written long before a lot of the streamers blew up and, and started taking so much away from networks. So it's an important point, uh, as disappointed and sad as we may be, um, it's still something that they have to fight for. Definitely. And the major difference, you know, as most people would know now, is when you're watching a streaming television show, it's rarely ever 20 to 24 episodes like we used to get on, you know, regular television, where, you know, you'd watch a show and you get that whole full season. Now, most seasons are 12 episodes. So there's even less work out there for some of these people. And it just the, the whole world has changed in the way that we view TV and movies now. So it's, you know, the, the contracts no doubt had to be rewritten. But the question is, is will they get their fair due here, the writers? And so far, the answer is no. So far, they've been negotiating, and they have not gotten what they've been asking for. And from what I've been told from some industry people, it seems like they're a little you know, they're pretty far away from each other at this point. So the latest that was publicized was that the Writers Guild of America had to vote on authorizing a strike. So that doesn't mean that they will strike, but that they have the ability to strike. So 97.85% of the Writers Guild of America has voted to authorize a strike. Something very similar happened in 2017, only, you know, five or six years ago, where they authorized a strike Ultimately, they negotiated and nothing ended up happening as far as the strike was concerned. So it doesn't necessarily mean that one equals the other, but that we're headed towards a potential strike. That is definitely something that is on the horizon and something that is very close because the contracts expire May 1st, which is one week from today, meaning that one week from today, Monday would be the last day of those contracts. So, writers, I believe, if I understand correctly, can work next Monday, but wouldn't necessarily be able to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And 
that is a problem because SNL relies on writers to write all the way up until 11:29 and it is pretty impossible to put on a show without the writers so bill anything on that yeah that's an important point and let's say we get to i mean this is all semantics and guessing at this point but let's say friday saturday they they're making progress but they don't have a deal so may 1st is that kind of first thing that we're looking at it could be hey we're getting close we're not there yet let's push it back to may 5th let's push it back to may 8th and at that point things will continue as uh as we expect and that'll be a great sign too because if they've actually made the progress enough to say we're not going to do it on may 1st then that's uh, that's a good sign for the overall uh, strike itself so fingers crossed i mean it'll be an interesting scenario uh if they let it go to, let's say they say May 5th, and that's Friday. So they start writing the Pete Davidson episode. What happens then? Do they just get some stuff in the can? Do we do a lot of pre-tapes? Uh, do we have like a Paul Rudd Christmas episode ready to roll with, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that's already made so there won't be any writing after X date? So it's an interesting scenario. Yeah, my guess is we're not going to it's it's completely conjecture, but my guess is that we're not going to have that situation. I think if it's going to be delayed, you would delay it like a week at a time. That's what like the history of this has been. So I think that there is no chance it would be like a May 5th thing. I think it would be more like a May 1st thing, if anything, um, or May 8th or May 15th, that type of thing. So all those things are definitely still on the table. But what I would love to uh, talk about, you know, is basically what is going to happen once a strike occurs, which is, uh, it's not like, you know, the world will stop existing, but I think that TV shows and movies will be affected uh, in a certain sequence. So first up is the the late night shows. So that not only includes SNL, but it would include like Colbert and Fallon and Kimmel and all of them, because they rely on their writers to write most of the material the day of their shows. So that would be it. Now, as far as I understand, and I think I saw this in the chat somewhere as well, uh, there are still planned shows for for Seth, for Jimmy, for all of them for next week and the week after. So everyone's like business as usual until those shows get canceled. So I would think that, you know, they would be the first to stop. And that's what happened in 2007, 2008. The one exception was something really interesting happened in 2007, 2008, which was that David Letterman at the time he had owned his own production company and writers were signed to contracts with him directly, which was which allowed them to come back to work. So you actually had some late night writers come back earlier than others. So it is definitely possible that certain segments of Hollywood can negotiate their own contracts. SNL has never done this, but you never know. Uh, it, maybe if it's so close to the season, they wouldn't. But perhaps if the strike continued for months and it went into September or October, then you would look at potentially having some type of contract that would be negotiated that would allow SNL writers to work specifically. So right now, I'm not as concerned about season 49, more just concentrated on May. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing, I mean, that's a whole podcast in itself, the late night shows, because uh, there's a lot of interesting history with that. The Letterman thing was interesting because he owned the company and CBS didn't own any part of either Late Show or Late Late Show. So, but that was two months into the strike. And a lot of these guys were paying staff out of their pockets. Kimmel very famously was paying his staff out of his pocket as well. Um, but if you go back to 1988, now this is a, an entirely different time. Of course, you're talking about three networks, very little cable. Johnny Carson came back. That strike lasted for six months. He came back after two months and was allowed to write because he was not part of the WGA for some reason. Now, today, mm. as far as I understand, all of the late night hosts are. I think in, in 08, I think the only one that wasn't was Carson Daly. Um, but he came back and he wrote his own monologue. He wrote skits, the only time we're allowed to say skits on uh, Saturday Night Network. And uh, so he came back without his writers. And uh, so that's a very interesting thing that I don't think would happen today. But um, yeah, I mean, if, if these shows are daily overall, so... How do you, you can't go six, seven, eight months with staffs of hundreds and, and leave these people out in the cold. So I think that's why they get a little bit more leeway. Um, and, and in the 08 uh, one as well, all of the other ones came back without writers. 
Uh, I remember Conan coming back, I think that same week as Letterman without writers and talked about his beard for about 20 minutes. So uh, they can ad lib. They cannot have anything written on the paper. There cannot be anything, you know, pen to paper or on a teleprompter. It has to be completely ad lib. So that's why a lot of them don't do that. And you said something really interesting here, which is that, you know, there is a ton of crew as well that are impacted by this because you have to think about all of the people like makeup artists or uh, hairstylists just at, at, at a simple level, uh, you know, in, in terms of SNL, people who work in the cue card department, like any department here is also impacted, right? Because no show means no work. So it really affects all of Hollywood, which is why you often see either, you know, other, you know, people who work in other aspects of Hollywood end up picketing with the writers or, you know, the actors end up being somewhat involved in helping negotiations because it's to everyone's benefit to get a fair shake for the writers. So really, it's going to be the late night shows that we're going to start with SNL as well. And that will be, you know, primarily what affects us over here. And then daytime soap operas would probably be next. And then if this goes on for a longer time, scripts for broadcast television shows would not be written, which would probably delay shows starting up in the fall, uh, for especially for a traditional television that runs their like October or September to May schedule. So that would probably be impacted. Um, and, you know, I guess they're used to contingencies and all of that since recently with COVID, a lot of stuff was impacted as well. And then, you know, the actors themselves, uh, they're unionized in the Screen Actors Guild, so they're actually completely separate. So if projects are already completed with scripts, they're able to film their projects. So, for example, if there's like a Marvel movie that's completely written already, they're able to then go out and film those projects during the writer's strike because they wouldn't necessarily require uh, the writers to come in on that. So it's an interesting loophole for some projects that may be completed or not. And what you will see is a lot more reality shows coming on the air. I mean, that was big in 2007, 2008. So uh, we'll talk about that when we get to that. But uh, I think that should give you a good example if you're a listener to try and understand what's happening here, um, a good grasp of what is happening overall. So Bill, any other overall notes on the strike potentially? Yeah, and that's on a case-by-case -case basis as well. Uh, Steve Carell famously would not cross the line, even though he wasn't part of the WGA. Um, so even though The Office at the time, which was red hot, uh, had a lot of uh, a couple scripts in the can, as they say, um, that he wouldn't cross the picket line. So they weren't able to continue. He had enough power that he could do that. Would that happen today? Would that happen on a regular show? Probably not, but it's something to consider. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take you all the way back to season six of Saturday Night Live. So just a picture in your mind where we're at in SNL history. First five years, they're pretty much their own show with Lorne Michaels and Dick Eversall and all of the greats, producers and creators of Saturday Night Live putting together the initial incarnation of the show. All of the original cast is there. Some amazing writers. You've heard all the stories about the greats. But what happens in is in 1980, uh, most of that changes almost everything. Everybody leaves the show, the remaining cast members, Lauren leaves the show, Dick leaves the show, and in comes Gene Dumanian, who worked on the show previously to be the sacrificial lamb and run the next iteration of SNL. And that is the 1980-81 season, season six of the show. And we get a, you know, a really fun cast that I think is uh, so underrated at the time. And, you know, most notably known for Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy, but also had greats with, you know, Gail Matthias, Danny Dillon, Anne Risley, uh, Gilbert Godfrey. Freed, of course, a lot of people uh, know nowadays. Uh, Charlie Rocket as well. Am I missing anybody? Uh, Not out of the out of the main cast. No, you got okay, it all. Perfect. Yeah, I got all of them all. All right, and then some great feature players as well. And what we have is twelve episodes of them just trying to figure it out. And it is a lot of uh, it's a lot of mess. It's a lot of fun. I actually think there's some really fun sketches in there throughout that season. But we go 12 episodes. Uh, episode number 12 is Bill Murray comes back to host the show. And it's really about like, you know, galvanizing the cast, you can do this. But it's not going to work. The network's over it. People are not watching the show the same way. Gene Dumanian gets canned. In comes Dick Eversall to run the show again. We get a 13th not hosted episode of the show, which is sort of like a Chevy Chase hosted episode in a way, technicality. Um, but he's there. Um, we get some like get throwback sketches. Al Franken's there. And it really feels like the show is returning to its roots. And we see some of the season seven cast come in. And what's interesting at the time is, is it's still time to have many more episodes in season six for the show to figure out what is going to happen. 
And um, we end up getting a three month strike instead in season six. So we have that one episode of Dick Ebersol and then five months off for him to figure out what to do for season seven. And that is the first instance in the history of the show that the writer strike has changed the course of SNL history. So Bill, I have thought for so many years about what season six would have looked like if there was no writer strike. Have you had those same thoughts? Oh, I think this is the SNL community, the the nerds of our community, as it were. I think this is our like Rosetta Stone trying to figure out what would have happened. Uh, so many questions. Uh, they had announced so many hosts that we'll get into. Um, but, you know, the strike actually started the morning of April 11th, where they ran uh, the Chevy Chase episode. So they couldn't write Weekend Update jokes because, uh, you know, of, of how close it was and the rewriting that they do with that. So a lot of those jokes on Weekend Update were old jokes that Michael O'Donoghue had written. <laughs> There's no topicality at all. Um, I don't think that would happen in this day and age. I don't think that you would have it that close where the writer's strike happens Saturday morning and, and you go on the air Saturday night. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many weird things about this time. You've got Gail Mathias and Denny Dillon who weren't fired, who were, you know, still part of the show with Tony Rosado, Tim Kazarinski, um, and Emily Prager, of course. And Laurie Metcalf, the the two shortest tenured SNL cast members of all time, um, Emily, uh, yeah, Emily, not even appearing in the show, just in the credits, and uh, yeah, I mean, Franken and Davis were supposed to host the following week with the Grateful Dead, but there was also Steve Martin, Buck Henry, Buck Henry was going to come and host on season six. Now, imagine the trajectory of that if he had not been kind of pigeonholed into just being with the original cast. Would he have come back all the way through the 2000s? Would he have been another Steve Martin? Would it have been Steve versus Buck? That's an interesting aspect of it to me that, you know, what what could have been? Um, well, I just want to say, because I, I do know, like, so confirmed, the, the shows that we know for sure are Tom Davis and Al Franken, which would have been the first time, I guess, in the history of SNL that we have former writers coming back to host the show. Later, we'll have Larry David and Conan and Mulaney, but, you know, that would have been the first instance of that. Also, I know that Al Franken was in talks to eventually run the show, so that would have been an interesting thing about, you know, what happens there. Um, and then, uh, so you said Davis and Al Franken, uh, Grateful Dead, that's the April 18th show, so that would have been the following right. week, and that's the for sure one. Now, the one that's been long speculated for the April 25th show is Dan Aykroyd as the yes. host for that one. So that's interesting to think about because obviously Dan Aykroyd doesn't come back and host the show till 2003. And, right. it, it, you know, and it's a big surprise, I think, when he shows up in the late 80s and then ends up being, you know, co-hosting sort of with Goodman for a long time. But, you know, that is a very big deal because I would have to imagine that during either the Davis and Franken or the... Uh, Ackroyd episode, maybe even the Buck episode, like the original cast probably would show up a bunch of times. Like I would assume Belushi would get in there at some point. So like I could only imagine the big moments we could have gotten in that season. Yeah, I mean the this the episode 13 kind of laid the groundwork for that for Chevy and Frank and the Davis to come back. They opened the show with all of the old props and Mr. Bill and, and the cold open. So Chevy kind of opened that door and that I think the others would have walked through. Maybe not everybody, but we certainly could have been talking about Belushi, you know, maybe a Blues Brothers uh, redo. Uh, there could have been a million different things. The the Denny and the Gale thing always bothers me because I feel like they were so talented and on a, on a cast that was unfairly derailed um, and derided. So it would have been interesting to see what they could have done with uh, the other cast members, seeing them work with the season seven uh, people who came in. So that, that always bugs me as well. For sure. And I definitely see people in chat talking about Al Franken as the potential to run the show. And I know that that was, you know, talked about during the end of season five, potentially the limo for a lame thing um, ended that. But I, I, I had heard that there were still some talks and rumors while people were, were deciding about what to do. And obviously, I mean, if he was allowed back on the show, 
it wasn't completely over there. So something interesting to think about. And then the Buck Henry one, I mean, Buck Henry like means a lot to me as an SNL host. So that would have been fantastic just to see what would happen there. Um, and I have to think about, you know, the women of SNL that sort of really never ended up coming back to the show. And we'll, we'll put a pin in that because there is a, you know, a hosted episode that was canceled from one of the women, the original OG women of SNL. But I have to think about their involvement in season six as well. So it is just really like a glass doors moment. And then you brought up Danny Dillon and Gail Matthias, who were kept on um, at the end of season six. And we interviewed Denny Dillon on the podcast a little while ago. I actually got to meet her and see her in New York City a couple of weeks ago. So we had lunch and uh, she is just the most delightful, wonderful person you would ever meet, like could not be a kinder person. And I just really wanted to know, like, do you think you would have been let go if if there was no writer's strike? I mean, and she says she thinks she probably still would have. And maybe that made her feel better about it after all these years, that it wasn't really that impactful. But I have to think like if Gail and Denny had been given the opportunity to go through the end of the season, I think they would be still on the show in season seven. So for me, I think they, they were probably, as you said, Bill, the most impacted by the potential of uh, like, you know, what happens in our universe versus another one. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Gail, especially to me, I, I always loved her work, and and she actually ended the Chevy show, Chevy show with uh, the big fame number, and Chevy actually ended up picking her up, and uh, she was singing the song throughout the studio. So, I mean, it was a nice way for her to go out. It she couldn't have known that was going to be the last time she was on, so that that's a little disappointing. Yeah. Well, I, I love this stuff. I mean, this is the stuff I love talking about as an SNL fandom, just because uh, what could have been. But uh, anything else on season six? Or are you good there? Well, the only other thing I want to bring up really quickly is that Franken and Davis, knowing that they were going to host the next week, actually mailed themselves sketches postmarked that, you know, that they happened before the strike, that they were mailed before the strike. Today, you would just send an email to yourself and have the date on it. But they and. Ebersol just decided he didn't want to do it. He didn't love a lot of the material that they had come up with, so he just canned the whole episode. So there's there's a way this could have happened, even with the strike already in motion, that we could have gotten the Franken Davis episode we never got. Do we know as a fandom, like anybody in the chat, let, let me know, do we know where those scripts are? Because I think like that is some real SNL gold out there if anybody has a copy of those scripts. Yes, mail them our way. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. If anybody knows, let us know. We'll definitely, I, I would read them on the podcast if we got them. So like, uh, that would be great. Okay. Well, basically, as we know through SNL history, so uh, Ebersol takes over the show. We see uh, some new cast members come in for season seven, some even more new ones come in from the Practical Theater Company in um, season eight. And then uh, really we get to season 10, which is known as the year where we bring in some very famous people to be a part part of the show, including uh, Billy Crystal and Christopher Guest and Martin Short. Harry Shearer comes back to the show. Uh, it is a really fun and interesting show, but Ebersol is already thinking about potentially uh, turning the show into a pre-filmed show and not making it live anymore. And is this going to be his, his last year? And it ultimately it ends up being his last year on the show. And this was one of the only times in the history of a show where the writer's strike happens in the middle of the season. So we get a really fun before and a really fun after. But in the middle, there is an important episode that is missing right in the middle of the season in March. So Bill, why don't you tell the listeners what we would have gotten in 1985 had there been no writer's strike? Well, as, as the promo that floated around when his son hosted a couple of years ago, uh, we were supposed to get Eugene Levy and John Candy hosting, which also never happened. Uh, very, very sad to not see this SCTV, SCTV crossover. Uh, we already had Marty on the show. Uh, so it would have been great to see these guys play together on the SNL stage. Uh, obviously, we lost John uh, a couple of years after that. So uh, he never got the chance to come on and do this. Um, it was heartwarming to see Eugene be able to come on and, and do a cameo during Dan's, even though it was during COVID. Um, so, yeah, that was a big loss. And, uh, you know, th this was kind of the way Eversol, the strike only lasted two weeks. But Ebersol kind of took it, as you as you pointed out. This was kind of his way to be like, well, all right, I want to go all pre-tapes. He actually cut the season short himself. So they came back after the strike, and then they ended in April. Uh, he They ended up not doing uh, the last three episodes because he was just kind of over the whole thing. And uh, that, that's kind of an interesting addendum to the history of SNL as well. 
Yeah. And we have this SNL film festival, which is a special show that happens in the middle of season 10. And John Candy and Eugene Levy appear on that promoting the show that would have been happening the following week. So that's the only, you know, that is our real like, okay, this was actually going to happen. So I think, uh, you know, that is something interesting. It's, it's a very small strike, but it is a show that was canceled that was there. And that happens in 1985 during season 10. I'm um, trying to see if the chat has any other nuggets on this one, but I think C- Casey good. points out that John did yeah. host in season nine. So yes, that, that's true, but would have been fun to see them together. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. That would have been, uh, that would have been great. And it would have been another fun show to have of all those season 10 cast that we, you know, only got to see for a certain number of episodes. So I think the exciting part would have get, been getting to see like Martin Short with John Candy and Eugene Levy and that type of uh, sketch that we could have potentially got. All right, but it's only a few years later, 1988, season 13, which is known as, you know, a golden era, the second golden era of the show. This is a 22-week strike, which lasts five and a half months. Uh, very, very long time. I think it's, if I read correctly, it's the longest strike that the Writers Guild of America has ever had. Um, and uh, this happens right at Bill's, uh, you know, main entry into Saturday Night Live. He's absolutely loving the show. So I'm going to pass it over to you, Bill. Tell me your firsthand experience at the show getting cut during the wonderful season 13. Oh, this this was devastating. As as a young person who had only three channels <laughs> and my two loves were SNL and Moonlighting, and I, I saw both of them suffer tremendously from the strike. Um, Moonlighting ended up losing all its viewers basically because they were off the air for six months and a lot of shows had this problem but yeah i mean this was really you know season 12 is when everybody came in uh the people we all love that like jan and phil and dana uh but 13 is really where they found their footing and it was such a shame for it to end uh in february i mean it it was over so early uh as a young person i had no idea what was happening why it was happening and the fact that it never came back that season uh, ended with Judge Reinhold of all people. Uh, just very, very devastating. Uh, it, it's hard to imagine in this era. You know, it will be very sad next week if we don't have SNL. But there are so many other choices. There's so many other things to do. Uh, I'll go back and watch old SNLs if I have to. I didn't have that option back then. So it, it was really uh, depressing. And of course, we know the host that we never got because of it, um, Gilda Radner, who was scheduled to host and sadly died less than a year later. Um, And then it took SNL 17 years to get a female alumni host back on the show. So uh, just a lot of bad things. Uh, This was probably the most devastating strike in the history of of TV. Um, And certainly SNL uh, was one of the things, losing all the momentum of a great new cast. Yeah, and I remember going through the seasons and feeling like, wow, the show is really hitting its stride. Like, this was the best SNL I've seen in a really long time. It could have been the greatest season in the history of the show. I ultimately think that season 14 is a candidate for that, you know, being the greatest season in the history of SNL. And, you know, the question is, is like, who would have hosted all of those remaining episodes? Really, we only know about Gilda and you too. Uh, and I, all I've ever heard about this is that a lot of the season 14 hosts in the fall would have potentially hosted in the spring, but I don't know if there's like some mystery nugget out there that somebody knows about a host that we never got from season 13. Obviously Gilda is the major one here. That's the big storyline, which is just, it's what a tragedy that we, you know, lost her and then also never got to see her come back, uh, to be on the show because, you know, she was uh, beloved by everybody that she met and that she worked with and that got to watch her on the show. And I just would have imagined getting to see like Roseanne, Roseanne Dana, like in season 13 of Saturday Live and getting to see, you know, Phil Hartman work with Gilda Radner, like just the possibilities. We always anticipate these anniversary shows or special shows when somebody's going to come back to see new cast members work with old ones. This was, you know, the best of all possibilities and unfortunately we didn't get that so as bill said totally (laughs) devastating year that we lost uh having you know more episodes in 1988 and um yeah it's just uh it was a crazy time now there is one positive nugget that comes out of this um they uh smigel smigel my friend and uh odenkirk 
were looking for something to do with all this time off. Uh, so they went back to Chicago and did a, a show with Conan. Uh, I think it was called Happy, Happy, Good Show. And uh, this is where Schmeigel kind of works out the kinks and gets the, the Bears uh, sketch rolling that he eventually brings back to SNL and became such a big part of the show in the late, uh, early 90s. So um, there's always some light in the in the rain so just wanted to point that part out okay and bill what were you watching during the 1988 writer strike oh my goodness we didn't even own a vcr we were so i i don't know uh <laughs> what'd you probably, do probably read a book i don't know wow <laughs> i know oh, right yeah i there, there wasn't a lot of choices honestly it's so hard to describe to people uh what it was like to just have the three channels. I mean, I feel like they probably just reran old SNLs every week. And I probably just watched those. Um, I think that, uh, I think they were starting to put SNL into syndication at that point. So I might've been watching stuff on, uh, PBS and that kind of thing. So wasn't a lot to do young man. <laughs> All right. Read, read a book. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, let's flash forward to a time that I was around for for a writer's strike. And this was 2007, 2008, another instance of a strike happening in the middle of a season where we got season 33 of the show. And uh, this was a 14-week strike, began in November 2007, goes to February 2008. And yeah, I mean, four episodes into the season, uh, the anticipation of a potential writer's strike is brewing ultimately we lose maya rudolph as a cast member during this strike and uh, we end up having casey wilson who was hired uh at, when we return from the show in february i remember being so disappointed because personally i know that season 32 is uh you know probably you know just the show is really getting its footing it happens to be like a personal favorite of mine, just seeing like everybody trying to figure it out with after those uh, big cuts, like a lot of cast members got cut between season 31 and season 32. And then we just get like Andy Samberg and Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig and Jason Sudeikis starting to integrate with, you know, Fred Armisen and Will Forte and all of them. And it's just becomes like really fun to see the show develop and the writing starting to really click. And then season 33 is really strong. Like it's a, it's a really strong start to the season and the momentum of losing Maya Rudolph for me was like devastating because it was the first time in my SNL watching career that I lost a cast member that I really like grew up on watching. So that was a big shame. And yeah, I just remember the same thing, Bill. It was like, it was just so crazy. Just like everything. I, I'm so like TV oriented and the fact that everything was stopping and this was the boom of reality TV because every reality show basically, you know, had seasons during this because it was the only thing that worked. I remember like I'm a big, big brother fan. That's one of the shows that I love as well. And big brother had a winter season, which was the first time they ever had that. And it was like, it was just, it was just weird, Bill. Uh, so what are your memories of the 2007, 2008 strike? I, this was another one I was very devastated about. I mean, this is pre-streaming for the most part. I mean, Netflix was starting to dip its toe into that. They were basically still DVDs, which RIP DVDs, Netflix, uh, they just announced last week. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who's still doing that other than your grandmother. Like, who's still getting DVDs in the mail from Netflix? But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, this was a high point, probably one of the last high points for network television in general where you had the, the Thursday domination of 30 Rock, The Office. Uh, uh, what else am I forgetting from that oh, Thursday night? Uh, um, community and Parks no, and Rec. Community, community hadn't started yet. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Uh, Parks and Rec? Uh, I'm trying to remember now. No. Well, anyway, it, we'll it was it a up. big night. Yes, we'll look it up. Um, so seeing these shows, but you know that, that's the other advantage that the scripted shows have. The Office started putting a lot more episodes in the can. They had a lot of hour episodes that could be split up into two parts, and they were on the air until December. But uh, yeah, it was it was really disappointing, especially we were Did getting. Did you forget? My this. name is Earl. Oh, my name is Earl. Of course. <laughs> Followed by ER on Thursdays. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And Scrubs. Scrubs. That's the one I was trying to think of. Yes, um, but yeah, I mean. It was it was really disappointing because I, with SNL in particular, we were getting into this huge political season, one of the most interesting political uh, 
times we've ever had. Uh, and in fact, the last episode we get with Brian Williams is the famous Obama cameo. Uh, and so at the time, it looked like Hillary was the front runner. Obama was just this cute outsider, you know. And by the time they get back to the show in, in February, you know, Obama's taken over. Lawrence pointed out that uh, they weren't able to do a Mike Huckabee because of this. They weren't. They had to kind of delay doing a Romney because of this. So there was a lot of disappointment on the show that they weren't able to get into the politics. But yeah, you're right. This was another great time of the show to see it just kind of come to a halt, especially so early. We never got a Christmas show, first time in the history of the show. Um, and for Maya to just kind of go out the side door and not even get a goodbye was, was really sad. That was definitely the toughest part for me with watching all of this. And then, you know, let's talk about some of the canceled shows that would have happened then. So uh, Dwayne Johnson and Amy Winehouse was the show that was going to be happening next. And then Amy Winehouse obviously tragically um, passes, you know, soon thereafter and that never does appear on the show. Uh, Dwayne Johnson would have been returning for the first time since 2002 when he was known as The Rock and hosting. Uh, he will come back and host the following season. We then would have gotten uh, Jonah Hill and not The Rock, but Kid Rock would be his musical guest. That would have been the next uh, the next one. I know how much you love Kid Rock, Bill. Um, and uh, Jonah Hill would end up hosting later in the season in March with Mariah Carey, uh, who ended up replacing Jen Jackson, who was sick. So a lot of shuffling going on there. And uh, like we said, Dwayne Johnson will host the season 34 with Ray Lamontagne. But uh, yeah, it would, you know, we don't know what other canceled episodes would have been planned for there or if there were actually planned episodes that we'd lost throughout that strike. Here is something really interesting that happens though during that strike, which is Amy Poehler, who is the co-founder of the Upright Citizens Brigade, puts on an SNL episode called SNL on Strike at UCB. And we get the entire cast having an episode Hosted by Michael Sarah, musical guest Yola Tengo, I believe. Is that what it is? Um, and it's the entire cast, plus Rachel Dratch and Horatio come back. So season 31 cuts uh, come on in. And we get uh, everybody besides Maya puts on a show at UCB. And this is like the lost SNL episode, the one that's like totally not canon, but actually did happen. Bill, what did you know about this? It was all over the internet that they were doing this, but I don't think I've ever seen one second of it. And I mean, I can't imagine. I have, by the way. You have? Yes, oh. I have. So this was on YouTube at the time. It got taken down pretty quickly. But I remember sitting on my computer watching this whole thing. And wow. I wouldn't have like ever thought that like 15 years later, I'd be hosting an SNL podcast and would like love to have had that footage. But watching it at the time, I was like, I needed my fix. So so it is out there somewhere. That's very interesting. Yeah, I've looked for it on occasion when we go down the rabbit holes on YouTube, try to find, but yeah, no, no luck. I would love to see what that looked like. Uh, I wonder if any of the sketches that they did eventually made their way onto SNL. So that that's very interesting. That I could not tell you, though, I do if I remember if there is anything that I do remember about that episode is it was a lot of recurring characters, right? Because they were easier to write than having to, you know, come up with new sketches. Um, I love this thing from uh, Casey in the chat who says uh, Tom Hanks and Ben Affleck were supposed to host in December 2007. So uh, interesting. Some five timers club hosts, they're potentially coming back. But yeah, that has to we, somebody we have to find that somebody has that somewhere. I don't know if we need to call UCB and get the footage of that. But uh, that would have been great. I mean, my only question is like could that happen again bill would they ever do something like that again i think they would I, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't um i don't think it would be taped because they would be worried about kind of breaking the the, the picket line um but yeah I, I think they could definitely find a way especially if it went on too long to exert that uh energy so yeah that would be great here's another great thing uh here that uh, Casey says that Jean K. Jean, that great Keenan character on Weekend Update, uh, premiered uh, at the strike show. So that's interesting as well. But yeah, I mean, I would love to obviously find that. I do wonder if they could actually pull off a strike show at you know one of the comedy um, you know clubs or anything like that now because I think that there's so many other things for people to do and like social media didn't exist in the same way that it does now that like, I feel like if SNL cast members are like not getting paid to do the show 
it's you're not going to be able to wrangle them together to do something like this. And at the time, the cast was so much smaller that they and so much closer, probably not to say that, like, they don't like each other now. But I'm just saying, like, it's like, it's, it's such a tighter knit group then that I think it was like, let's all do this together. I don't feel like that could happen now. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, that You bring up a great point because there are so many other things. But if they're still in New York waiting to see if the strike ends, I think that's the best possibility. And uh, we got to get John back on a plane to New York and uh, we'll all meet up and go find this underground SNL show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that it's uh, it's that and finding Yvonne Hudson. Those are the two things that <laughs> that are yeah. on my the top there of my bucket go. list. But uh, you know, I was uh, let me let me pitch you something, Bill. The May, so May sixth potentially Pete Davidson musical guest Lil Uzi Vert. May thirteenth host Michael Sarah. Just putting it up. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's very. How many people would go? Who? <laughs> That would that would make that would make me very sad. He was such a great part of Arrested Development and things like that. So that, I love that. I love that idea. Yeah, that could be very fun. So yeah, that was a it was really an impactful time watching television during that strike. And honestly, I never thought it would really happen again because I was like, you know, I think that I, I felt that networks would probably be more prepared, but I also could not have been prepared as my younger self to anticipate the changes that would happen in the world of television and movies where the, just the whole world of entertainment has changed so much now. So it, it totally makes sense that they would need new contracts and a fair shake from what they were getting then. It's just the world is different in 15 years, and I'm sure it'll be different in another 15 years. My only wish is that the strike date could have ended after the SNL season. Yeah, the, the strike date is always interesting, and, and there's probably a million things that going, go into something like that. But it's very intriguing that with all the shows, all network shows are in the can at this point. Uh, you know, the season finales have already occurred in some cases, like Abbott Elementary just aired their season finale. So I don't get what impact they get as far as uh, having it start in May. Uh, maybe there wasn't a choice, but uh, yeah, I, I wish it could have been June 1st. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Well, now we're in season 48, and I actually sort of feel like the trends we were getting in season 13 and season 33 apply now it's really crazy where the show is starting to figure it out for the first time in a long time and the fact that we might get this strike now when the last two of them were you know stopping momentum is really fascinating so i think like this is a point in history where if we don't get the pete davidson show people are going to be talking about it for a very long time about what would have been and would pete potentially host in season 49 because you know, he's hosting clearly because not only is he a friend of the show, but Bupkiss, his show is premiering on Peacock uh, next Thursday, a week from Thursday. So that he won't have that premiere date to promote something. So if the Pete show gets canceled, do you think, Bill, we would see him in 49? I don't. I think it was completely about the Peacock show. Um, you, you make such a great point, And it's one of the first things I wrote down. It, it's so much like 1988 with the, the, just the momentum that this show has had after a couple of down years, more than a couple of down years, we had, we had COVID, we had the orange man, we had uh, kind of getting their footing with 21 cast members the last couple of years. So it's just been such a great resurgence this year. And, and you could feel it with, as we talk about it every week, how exciting it is to, to be talking about this show and all the great things that we've gotten from uh, people have been there for a couple of years and and the newcomers and, and how much great content they're putting together. The writing has been fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it would be it mirrors 1988 uh, way too much for me. I'm going to have to go read a book again. <laughs> Definitely get on that. So here's the plan. The second we hear that there is a writer's strike or not, we're going to post on social media and let all of our followers know. So if you're not tuning in, you obviously you'll get to see this on all the news channels. You may not get all of your news from us, but as far as SNL is concerned, we'll, as soon as we know something, you'll know something. So we'll be able to break that all down. If there is no strike or a delayed strike, business as usual here on the podcast. We have a super fan takeover coming up next Monday night. Bill will be a part of that. They'll be talking about the greatest moments in SNL history where a former cast member has come back to host in anticipation for a potential 
Pete Davidson episode. That'll be the night of May 1st that that will air on our YouTube channel. So hopefully we'll know more then and be able to talk about that. So I hope you'll join us in the chat where we'll be able to talk about what we'll see from the season. We'll also do some Bupkiss coverage here on the podcast. So that will happen a week from Thursday. We'll be live to recap the premiere of Bupkiss. So if you wanted to watch that show, that will be available to you. We'll also probably do recaps of the remaining episodes. So TBD on if that will be uh, you know, on the main feed or on the patron feed, whatever we end up doing uh, in the future for that, but sort of dependent on if there is a strike or not to fill that content. Uh, if there is a strike, just like SNL and NBC and all of the, you know, everyone needs to fill content. We'll find a way here on the podcast filled with interviews, SNL stories, um, you know, many more shows throughout the summer. So the plan is to be uh, to still have many live shows here on the podcast. We don't necessarily rely on writers, as you can see with all of the fumbles sometimes we make here on our live shows. So we're still good to go. You have podcasts now. You don't necessarily have to read a book, Bill. Thank goodness. Oof. Yeah. Dodge the bullet. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this show recapping what is happening in the world with the WGA writer strike and the history of them with Saturday Night Live. Bill Kenny, thank you for joining me on this journey through SNL history tonight. Where can the listeners reach out to you? And do you have anything to plug? Thanks always having me, John. Uh, you can follow me anywhere at BKLove73. Uh, follow my strike beard on uh, strikebeard73. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the goatee to the podcast. That's the season 46 <laughs> staple. Uh, you can follow us on social media at the SNL Network. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast, especially in these trying times. Subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It always helps people find the show. You can also find me at John Schneider 24 if you want to chat about Saturday Night Live or anything to do with what is happening in the world of SNL. And I I just really look forward to seeing what happens. We, I want to make a finer point on this before we end the show. We hope that the writers get what they deserve. So that is important to us here, no matter what happens in the future of SNL. All right, for Bill Kenny and everybody in the chat who joined us on this Monday night, my name is John Schneider from the Saturday Night Network. We will see you next time, everybody. Have a good one.